Well, it's a lot cooler in here this morning, and I'm grateful for that. Um, last week it was a little bit miserable, probably more for you than it was for me, because when I get going, I'm not, I'm tuning everything out. Would you take your Bible to the book of Ruth this morning? We're going to spend a little bit of time in Ruth chapter 4, considering um, verses 13 through 21, just the end of the book. We've come to our end, the end of our time I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for this week too, but I'm excited for next week too. We're going to start considering some psalms, the psalms of ascent, Psalm 120 through 134. We're going to spend 15 weeks there. That's going to take us almost to the end of 2018. Can you believe that? It's going to take us almost to the end of 2018. But this morning we're in Ruth. We're going to wrap up our time here. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. I'll read this text for us, 13 through 21. So Boaz told Ruth, took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and began to nurse, and became his nurse. And the women in the, in the, of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This text here in Ruth chapter 4 brings us back to the beginning of the book and provides us with a conclusion to what we saw Several weeks ago, maybe 10 weeks ago in, in Ruth chapter 1. We've seen several themes playing themselves out over the course of our time in, in Ruth. Um, but now we're moving back to the beginning and tying up the loose ends. This is an incredible story. And I know that we know that. We know we said that. But this is just an incredible story from the fact that it's incredible storytelling we have a handful of acts here that take place. You could kind of probably break them up into Act 1, 2, 3, 4 based on the chapters, these different scenes that we see. Ruth and Naomi coming back to Bethlehem. And then Ruth's interactions with Boaz in the middle of the day and then Ruth's interactions with Boaz in the middle of the night. And we're finding out that Ruth and Boaz, no matter what happens, whether it be during the day or the night, Boaz is a man who is righteous and who acts righteously. Then we come to the end of chapter 4 where Boaz sort of seals the deal with his sandal. We saw that last week. And he perseveres and redeems Ruth as, his, as her kinsman redeemer. 
And so we've seen this book sort of play itself out. We've got this, we've got this initial introduction of characters and then the development of these characters and then this rising action and this climax and then this resolution that comes down now to the end. And this is the summary of what's taken place. Verses 13 through 21 is the summary of what's taken place throughout the course of the book. We began with Naomi experiencing loss and suffering. And we end with her being filled. Verse 15 is where we want to key this morning. There's a couple of words tucked into verse 15. Verse 15 says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. There's two words in tucked in there, restored and nourished. And as we wrap up our time in this book, we keep coming back to this theme, right? This theme, this understanding that God's unexpected methods, His mysterious ways, the ways in which He works. And in many ways, we saw this last week when we were reminded what God who establishes our steps. Man plans his way, but God establishes his steps, Proverbs 16.9. And here's another facet of it. We see this playing out again. Another facet of the establishment of steps by God despite man's plans. And in our text, it said simply and straightforwardly with these two words, restorer and nourisher. So let's think about each one of these. We'll take these in, in sequence. Restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. First, though, go back up to verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, that phrase is important. And we need to latch on to that because we have that same phrase happening in chapter 1, which is tying us back together, right? Back in chapter 1, verse 19, when Naomi and Ruth make it back to Bethlehem, the women said, the women said, is this Naomi? They asked this question, is this Naomi? They only say one thing, they say, is this Naomi? And when Naomi comes back from Moab a decade later with no husband, no sons, a widowed Moabite daughter-in-law, she seems to them, to these women, she seems unrecognizable. And so they ask the question, is this Naomi? But now the women say something else. We see them say something else here in verse 14. They say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. A transformation has taken place in Naomi, shown to us by these women. In ancient literature, it's almost like a chorus. Right? You kind of have the chorus, I don't know, you don't. But, but these people are explaining, giving us more details about the story. And a transformation that has taken place from unrecognizable and bitter in Naomi to restored and nourished. And her transformation causes these women to praise the Lord for his work. God hasn't left Naomi, even though it might have had appeared that he had. God has given her 
God has given a redeemer. And now, now we have to look hard at this text, though. Look hard here with me. What is she saying? Immediately we might think, well, she, God has given her redeemer. And we might think, yes, Boaz. He's given her Boaz. But that's not what the text says. And this is incredible. That's not what the text says. She says, your daughter-in-law has given birth to him. The women are talking about Boaz. They're talking about Obed. They're talking about her grandson. Why? It comes full circle. The redemption that came through Boaz was ultimately from God and is finalized in the birth of Obed. This should sound familiar to us. This should sound familiar to us. It points us to a promised redemption that comes through the birth of a child. It's not Christmas, but we can talk about the birth of Jesus. A baby born, condescending to earth, taking on flesh God himself. The birth of Obed marked the finalization of the redemption of Naomi and her family. The birth of Jesus marked the finalization of the redemption of the whole world. God's plan coming through to fruition through the birth of a child. The birth of Jesus representing the final act in God's redemptive plan. And in Christ, we will have what the women say Naomi will have. A restorer of life. A nourisher of old age. So those two things tucked there in chapter five, or verse 15 in chapter 4. He shall be to you, Obed shall be to you a restorer of life. Pointing us to Jesus Christ, he shall be restorer of life. And notice that the women speak in future tense here. They're speaking of something that's, a, that's going to happen. That's a, that the birth is not the event, but, but what it's taking us to. Again, this is the case for us as well. For Naomi, life was restored through the seeing birth of Obed, but the truth of that statement not yet fully realized. What does it mean? When the women see Naomi come back from Moab in chapter 1, again, they see a woman who is a shell. The life has been drained from her because of the loss she has experienced. And in one sense, Obed is the restoration of what she lost, the loss of her husband, the loss to deceased sons who did not contribute to her lineage. In, a very, in another sense, in a very real sense, Obed would be firmly fixed, what we see in verses 18 through 21, Obed would be firmly fixed in the most important lineage in human history. As the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, and ultimately from this line, King Jesus comes. And so Naomi's life is a small picture of redemptive history. All of human history is almost summed up in this book, in this up and down trajectory that we see Naomi's life taking. 
the fullness she had with Elimelech and her two sons as they went out to Moab. Taken away because of the curse of sin. Hasty decision making and a move to Moab, the loss of everything she held dear, and then the redemption coming from an unexpected source. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, a relative of Boaz and a relative Boaz. Redemption comes through these two sources, unlikely sources. Finalized here in our text and being refilled and restored in life. And in the same way as we see Naomi needing life more than anything else, the restore of life and the finalization of God's plan and ark for her, in the same way that she was restored to life, friends, we are in need of life more than any other thing. If you say this morning, we're saying, I'm alive, I'm here, I'm breathing air, my synapses are firing. I ate breakfast this morning. Or I, I've been drinking the proper amount of water. My heart is pumping. After this, I'm going to go grab some lunch. I'm going to continue living, doing the things that are, I need to live. Yes, you're alive physically. But friends, the way that the Bible paints this picture for us, why the Bible paints The picture of life is so much more than just physical life. You know when someone does something for the first time and they really enjoy it, maybe like bungee jumping, I wouldn't do that, but maybe bungee jumping? And they jump off and they they come back up and they, I don't know how that works. Do they come back up? No, they hang, I don't know. Someone picks them up? I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Details. They say, I've never felt so alive. That, that's like the words that I could imagine my wife doing it when she's not pregnant with twins. Although I probably wouldn't allow her to do it anymore. Maybe earlier in our marriage when she didn't have five children to nurture. But I wouldn't, but, but the, 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 I've never felt so alive. Boy, we're waffing the weeds there. But I've never felt so alive. That's the, that's the idea. And that's what we're talking about. And so we ask, we ask of this. We say, who, who are you, God? And then we ask, why did you create us? What did you create us for? And what did you create us to do? And the answer is, image-bearing as ambassadors of God. Image-bearing ambassadors of God to know God and to make him known. Again, here's a, have you ever met someone who makes a really good impression? Someone who comes off as a really intelligent, really smart, really excitable person makes you feel alive. We say, but this is the guy, he's a, he's a really great guy. We talked for 10 minutes the other day. He's really a really impressive life. And the more you get to know someone, and the more that you're impressed by someone, the more you're inclined to talk about them. The same is true for our God. The more we get to know our God through his word, the more we are inclined to talk about him. And truly being alive comes through the ability to know God and to make him known. And this is why, Buffalo City Church family, this is why we want to keep the gospel central in all we do. Because friends, the gospel is the source of our life. 
The gospel is the source of our life. It must remain central because Jesus is the giver of life. Right? He says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in that moment, Jesus is talking about his sheep. For those who came to die. And if you're in Christ, that's you. In his death, in his death, he took on your sin. In his resurrection, he fulfilled that promise of abundant life that's promised to you. That's the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, do, you, do we know, the, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We ask the question, what do, we, what do we actually mean when we say the gospel? It means, first, that we openly acknowledge that we are sinner by nature, sinner by choice. We were born into sin, and we actively choose sin. But, there is good news. Because for the one who is born into sin and who actively chooses sin, the wrath of God is upon that one. That's not good news. That's not good news. But there is good news. And that's the gospel. That's what we're talking about. God sent his son, Jesus, fully God, fully man. He never chose sin. He was not corrupted by sin. And he lived the life free from sin that you and I could not. And then he took all of our sin upon himself on the cross. And he gave all of us right standing before God. And now you can actually be alive if you've acknowledged that you are sinful and choose sin and trust Jesus and pay for, to, to pay for that sin on your behalf and to make you right with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And you must admit you are a sinner chose sin. And that Jesus is the one who can bring you back and make you what you were intended to be. And in order to know God and to make him known, you must be made alive. This is a fundamental truth that we must rehearse in our minds on a daily basis. Separated, by God, separated from God for our sins, restored to life in Christ Jesus. Separated from God because of our sin, restored to life because of Christ Jesus. This is why the gospel is so essential and must remain central. Without it, we're dead. Without it, together, this church is dead. We were created to know God and to make Him known, and there's only one way to do that, repent and trust Jesus to make us alive. And so my question for you this morning is, have you done that? Friends, I know many of you in this room, others I don't know that well. Have you trusted Jesus to make you alive? Have we acknowledged our sin before a holy God? 
And in a society that doesn't like talking about sin, and probably is prefer to talk about something positive, we probably don't hear a lot about it on the Christian radio or in a self-help book. But here's the thing about positive things, friends. Here's the thing about positive things. It means that there's something negative. Dehydration is a bad thing. Why? Because we need water to live. And we can say, drinking water is a positive thing. Because dying from dehydration is a bad thing. No one becomes a Christian who isn't, if, if there isn't something that they need being saved from. What is the good news of Jesus Christ if not the message of salvation? This is the question that we ask ourselves in Christian culture. Are you saved? And we must answer the question, from what? What are we saved from? The wrath of God that was against us because of our complete corruption and depravity that I once walked apart from Christ. And no one becomes a Christian without full recognition that you couldn't bring yourself back into right relationship with God because of the infinite debt of sin that we was piled upon you. But again, the good news, right? The, there's that, there's actually the, the negative. But the, then there's the good news that comes to us that, no, Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf and restores life to us. Not a drop, not an ounce, not a molecule of that wrath will fall upon us because Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. We must admit, if we're a sinner and we're sinful, that there's only one solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ. And in a society, again, that says there are many paths to God, we say no, because there is no way except the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that could satisfy the wrath of God. And if you're in Christ... That was all poured out on Jesus. None of it remains for you. He took the cup. He drank it down. The dregs were not left. And this, friends, is the only way to become a follower of Jesus and to have life restored to you. And this is the truth and that propels us into our day-to-day. That we grow in our understanding of God's goodness and how incredible this free gift of salvation actually is. We live in light of it. Everything that we do is in light of this incredible truth that we've received life in Jesus Christ. You mean the God of the universe sent his son to die for me. The wretched sinner that I was, God loved me so much that he did, did all that I could not while I was his enemy. Go to God's word and elevate your thoughts there this week, friends. That's where we should reside this week. And praise God for his incredible gift is the restorer of life, the one who redeems us. Blessed be the name of the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. 
And this day-to-day activity is the gospel produces in us. The gospel produces in us. Leads us to what comes next in verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Things that are alive and healthy grow. We live in an area of the world where there's a lot of agriculture and so we get to witness this firsthand. We get to witness things growing, happening all around us. We look at the corn and we say, look at the corn, it's growing, amazing. Knee high by the 4th of July or whatever the rule is, I don't know. And the, the women here in Ruth chapter 4 say that Obed will be a nourisher of Naomi even in her old age. What does that mean? Again, we see this character arc of Naomi in Ruth. In the book of Ruth, she's a dynamic character. We see emptiness and we see fullness. And in this, this isn't self-betterment or a self-pursuit, but God's work in her as the author does everything for us to see that this is God's work in Naomi. She makes some rash decisions. We see some misguided promptings. But God is doing something in her and growing her. We see that how he strips her of what she trusts. Her family and her personal ingenuity and causes her to trust him. Verse 15, that very next phrase. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And then that very next phrase. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. There's that little explanation. (laughs) An explanation of Ruth and who she is to Naomi. Who is more to you than seven sons? Remember back a few weeks ago when we talked about the identity that would be ascribed to an individual in an ancient culture, especially a woman, would have to do with bearing children, especially sons. And God removes that. He says, that's not, that's not your identity. He pulls that away. Seven is the perfect number. Seven sons That Naomi, if she had reproduced well, but that wasn't the case. She had two sons, Malian and Killian, whose name meant sickly and wasting away. That's what their names meant. But God provides for her the path to see that he is the only one in whom she should trust. God provides her a way to see that she is the or that God is the only one that she should trust. And Ruth is more to Naomi than seven strapping, handsome sons. Shall we ask, so what? I think readers of this in an ancient context would have been challenged by this. I think they would have been challenged and cut to their heart when they see, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you is more than you, to you than seven sons because nothing could be better in their minds than bearing seven sons. How is it that this woman, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, 
could be better than seven sons? A foreigner, a Moabite. Paul, I think, goes here in 1 Corinthians 1. He says in verses 27 through 29, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we see this tucked here in verse 15, who is more to you than seven sons? When we see this here, we ask the question, could a woman from a foreign land bring about fulfillment in Naomi as much as seven sons? Could God use her as a tool to bring about his work and his divine plan in her more than seven sons? And the answer is yes, and even more. God has chosen to work in this way. It's how God chose to grow Naomi in this mysterious way through her daughter-in-law. Ruth. In conclusion this morning, as we've thought about the book, there's a handful of things here that I think we just need to ask ourselves. I'm going to give you two and then a thought in between those. The very first one we asked a moment ago. Have you repented and trusted Jesus as the only one that can restore life to you? Have you repented and trusted Jesus as the only one who can restore life to you? Friends, we look a lot of different places for this. Rule keeping. Making money. Working hard. Raising our kids right. Maintaining a healthy body. Or just doing what you think will make you happy. And none of those things, friends, are bad. Don't hear me wrong. None of those things are bad. They just can't offer you life. They can't restore life to you. And pursuing them like something that can restore life to you is idolatry. God is the restorer of life. It says, when you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God, the free gift of salvation offered to us in Jesus Christ. The free gift of salvation given to us despite our heinous, God-ignoring, self-consumed, self-promoting, arrogant nature and acts. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. And so the call is clear. Repent and trust Jesus. The second thing, that's the first question. Have you repented and trusted Jesus as the only one who can restore life to you? The second thing is a thought. We said it a moment ago, healthy things grow. I think that the word nourished here is an interesting one in this text because the author says nourisher of your old age. And when we think of nourishment, oftentimes I don't, I don't think of Seasoned people, I think of babies, 
being nourished by a mother's milk. But here again, the word is paired with of your old age. Nourishment of old age. No doubt the author was thinking about the carrying on of the lineage of Ruth. The lineage of Naomi. And Obed is something that grows out of her household. But again, we usually think of nourishment for youngsters. But friends, I think this points us to the fact that God intends nourishment for us at every stage of life. In every point of our life, He has an intent for us to be growing in an understanding of what He's communicated about who He is in His Word. If we are a new creation, he intends to grow us. Healthy things grow. You don't arrive in the Christian life. Part of being a disciple is being a learner. And whether you're 7 or 70, God is growing you and there's more for you to know about him. He's an infinite God. He's an infinite God. You're not going to plumb the depths. You're not going to figure it out. You're not going to get there. And if we see life experience as the source of our growth, then we have reason to be prideful and to say, I've seen a lot of stuff and I am what I am. But if that's God's word, if it's God's word that is the nourisher, our nourishment in old age, our growth continues. Again, we thought about the temptation of Jesus, maybe it was last week or a couple weeks ago, as it pertained to Boaz being tempted on the threshing floor. And we saw that Boaz responded righteously in that moment. And we saw Jesus respond righteously when faced with temptation in the wilderness. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to Satan in that moment. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. God intends to grow us no matter what stage of life we're in. Healthy things grow. They don't ignore what God has said or think they've got it figured out because I've been around the block. Naomi's youth was behind her, but God continued to grow her through showing her that his plans were better than hers. The last thing I'll say this morning is just present you with another question. What unexpected thing, again, thinking about Proverbs 16, 9, and how important that is to this entire book. What unexpected thing is God using to bring about growth in you? Last week I mentioned the false assumptions of quiet time. For people who have young children, it's just not really a reality to have a quiet time. And yes, somehow we've constructed this reality where we think that in order to be growing in our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us, we need quiet time. But the reality is God is going to use anything. He's going to take whatever is happening and he's going to use it to grow us. When things don't go the way that we want them to, oftentimes our tendency is to complain. But we need to be retrained to think, God, how are you using this to make me more like Jesus? How are you using this to help me know you and make you known? This is a tough question to ask ourselves. 
It seems easy, but it isn't. Ask yourself the question when you're put in this position, what unexpected thing is God using to bring about growth in me when we're tempted to think there's no way that God could use this? Recall to your mind Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We have to ask ourselves in that moment when we call that verse to mind, what are all things? What are, what are all things? We look at the book of Ruth. Did God work on Naomi's loss for good? Yes. Can God work your fill in the blank for good? Yes. That, that's pretty serious. That's a pretty serious promise. Can God work it for good? Yes. You remember Joseph in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers, you remember him? His brothers plotted to kill him. They sold him into slavery kind of as a last minute decision. And when he's reunited with his brothers in Egypt at the end of the book, he says in Genesis 50, 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant good. God meant it for good. So we ask the question, what unexpected thing is God using to bring about growth in you? It requires a lot of humility to ask that question, I think, because it does open us up to a whole host of things in our lives. So we ask the Spirit to search us out and praise Him for the restoration of life that you have in Christ in the nourishment of His Word. God is both our restorer of life and our nourisher in our old age. And so this morning as we come to the end of our time in this book and here on July 15th, we're going to think a little bit about these things. There are a lot of things contained in this book. If you've Ask yourself that question, have I repented? And have I trusted Jesus as the restorer of life? If you ask yourself that question, you say, I don't know. I don't know where I stand before God. Would you come talk to me? I'd love to have a further conversation with you about that. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, how is it possible that God could be growing me in this season that I'm in? Let's talk. Find someone to talk with. This morning we'd love to pray for you if you, if you need prayer. Come up afterwards. We'd love to pray for you. To think about these things. God is the one who restores life to us and nourishes us in our old age. And if you have any other questions, anything that's taken place in this time this morning that you need clarification on or more understanding, come talk to me. As we close our time, we're going to sing another song. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. We'll have a couple of announcements. But don't leave this place without maybe beginning to answer those questions this morning.
Let me pray and we'll sing.